0: welcome and thank you for viewing our weekly sermon i'm pastor malone and i pray this message be a blessing to you and help you grow closer to jesus if you'd like to know more about having a personal relationship with jesus or to connect with us as a church please visit westacres.org thanks again and god bless amen good morning everyone so good to see you all here this morning even on this rainy uh, stormy sunday uh, but we've seen God's hand at work uh, with all the rain outside, even seeing those strikes of lightning and hearing that thunder roll. Uh, it's been an amazing morning. So grateful that you're here. And uh, while our choir is still uh, making their way to their seats, I do want to just encourage you uh, to be praying uh, for the next uh, couple of weeks. we got Palm Sunday. Uh, next Sunday, um, our Pastor Emeritus, uh, Larry Harmon, will be back in the pulpit. And then Easter Sunday, it's just two weeks away, and uh, just be praying that the Lord will definitely use that day. We always expect a bigger crowd. Um, We expect folks to invite their loved ones that day, especially your lost friends and family. And what better day to invite someone uh, than Easter Sunday? Uh, You should be inviting folks every Sunday, uh, but especially Easter. As you know, it'll be a very special time um, if you have that person that you've been praying for uh, throughout this year, use this as an opportunity uh, to pray for them, invite them to church. We have invitation cards uh, in our common areas that you can invite folks to church. And I was talking to our uh, Pastor Rob uh, this week about Easter, and he, he brought up an interesting point he heard from uh, a pastor friend of his, uh, talking about the Day of Pentecost. How many people were saved on the Day of Pentecost? What does Scripture tell us? About 3,000 people. Uh, what does that mean? That means there were 3,000 lost people at the day of Pentecost. Um, so you want to see people get saved within the context of the local church? You've got to invite them. You've got to invite lost people. I know we got lost people sitting in these pews. Uh, you know who you are. God knows who you are. But we also know we have loved ones that need Jesus. Invite them to church. Never underestimate the power of of the body of Christ. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we have some available in the pews, um, and that is our gift to you. If you don't have a Bible, take that home with you and read it. It will change your life. Uh, But Acts chapter 4, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 31, so I'm not going to waste any more time. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word. Chapter 4 picks up uh, immediately with chapter 3, connects to that story. And Peter has been preaching uh, to this crowd in the temple. And this crowd gathered because of this miracle that took place. The lame beggar was healed. He wasn't lame anymore, and he wasn't begging anymore. He was walking, he was jumping, he was praising God. And Peter's been preaching, and this is where we pick up in chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees Came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. "...with Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power, or by what name, did you do this?" Talking about the miracle. "...then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, "...rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man..." and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among by which we must be saved. Man, Peter, uh, Peter just uh, laid it on them, didn't he? And verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let us pray. Father, I pray that you will help me uh, preach your word with boldness. I pray it be clear Father, I pray it be convicting. Lord, I pray your spirit will just move in this place amongst all the people that are here. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray you just mold us and make us into the servants you have called us to be. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the title of today's message is An Introduction to Persecution. An introduction to persecution. And that is exactly what we see taking place in our passage today. Uh, The the church has been born. The day of Pentecost has happened. We've seen the church uh, growing into the thousands. Uh, But this is the first time we see the church encountering persecution. Thus, this is an introduction to persecution. Not only for us, uh, but also for the early church. Um, This shouldn't surprise us, though. Jesus taught his disciples to be ready for persecution. Hey, he taught them. He, he, he didn't, Jesus did not just preach all, all the good things. and It was like one of those, those car commercials we hear on the, the radio. You can't hear the last five seconds of it because they're speaking so fast. Uh, Jesus was absolutely clear. Expect persecution. Uh, he said it in John 15, 18 through 20. If the world hates you, Know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. The Apostle Paul wrote a similar message to the young pastor named Timothy. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus, will be persecuted. He doesn't say just some of them will be persecuted. He says, all, all. If you desire to live godly, if you desire to live your life following Jesus Christ, you can expect persecution. You can expect it. Persecution is not an if, but it is a when. It's not an if, but it is a guarantee. If you're a Christian, you'll experience persecution. If you desire to live godly, you will experience persecution. You know, that word is not received well anywhere. It's especially not received well today, the word persecution. And and the American church especially, for some reason we think we're exempt to persecution because we, we live in the land of the free, in the home of the brave. We do live in an awesome nation. And one of the things America is known for is religious tolerance. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for it. But folks, if you read your Bible, you will learn that Christianity is not tolerant of other religions. You will learn it's not tolerant at all. That doesn't mean we're supposed to make war. That doesn't mean we're supposed to go and have crusades against all these other religions. Uh, But the message of Jesus is very, very, very narrow. Very narrow. We believe in the one true God. We believe in one Lord. We believe in one Savior. We believe there is only one way to be saved. Our Lord Jesus uh, said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Friends, this message is not an inclusive message If you're really uh, teaching folks about Jesus, uh, you're going to rub people the wrong way. It's not politically correct. If you believe Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, you better prepare yourself for persecution. Because the world, our culture, is not going to tolerate this message. And if you've been paying attention, we're already seeing signs of that in our own country. So with that being said, if we're supposed to expect persecution, how do we prepare for it? How do we prepare for persecution? Well, we look to the one who it was king of being persecuted, and that is our Lord Jesus. And we look to his example. We look to what he did for us in Scripture. He was not only persecuted, but he was crucified. He was killed. But we also look to his word. The early church was facing persecution on a regular basis. With that being said, it only makes sense for us to look at their example. How did they face persecution? Did they run the other way? Uh, Did they bow the knee? What did they do? And let me give you a heads up. They didn't run the other way. They didn't bow the knee. Uh, They faced persecution boldly, boldly face-to-face. In our scripture today, we see an act of persecution taking place. The apostles are arrested, but we also see a shining example in Peter and John. So if you're taking notes today, our verses uh, 1 through 31 can be separated into two main sections. Uh, number one, the act of persecution. So we're going to see what takes place, what was the uh, persecution like, and secondly, the actions of the persecuted. How did Peter and John respond to this persecution? Uh, let's begin with number one, the act of persecution. This chapter picks up directly after chapter three. Well, that's what I love about the book of Acts. That's what I love about the gospel narratives. It is a story. It is going from here to there. The chapters connect. That's why we're going through this book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, chapter. Uh, But if you were here last week, Peter is preaching to this large crowd at the temple. He has just performed this miracle. This man who was born lame, who used to sit at what was called the beautiful gate, Peter, through the name of Jesus, heals this man. And folks, notice what takes place. Because folks have seen this joker sitting at the gate for pretty much decades and they see him walking and leaping and praising God. So this crowd gathers. Peter begins to preach. He preaches an awesome message. You can see that in chapter 3. Uh, but I shared somewhat of a conclusion to that sermon last week. But if you're really studying Scripture, we never get to see Peter's conclusion. Because he's preaching. And what happens? All, all the, the temple police come in. The priests come in. Uh, the... the The Sadducees, all those folks, come in and they end Peter's sermon. They don't sit on the front pew. They don't sit on the front row and allow Peter to finish his thoughts. They bring an end to it abruptly. Abruptly. We see this in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. The Jewish leadership shows up on the scene. The first group we see is, was known as the priest. This was much like the priest we read about in the Old Testament. What does this let us know about the priest at this time? They're not following God's will. They are apart from God's will. The second uh, representation, we see the captain of the temple. Uh, the temple had their own police, and the captain shows up with the scene. Then we also see this group called The Sadducees, the Sadducees, and we've we've seen Jesus face off with the Pharisees and the Sadducees before, but who are the Sadducees? Uh, The Sadducees were a powerful religious, they were also a political group within Jerusalem. They wanted to have leadership not only in Judaism, but they also wanted to have leadership amongst Rome as well. They wanted the privilege, They, they wanted all the good things that come from leadership Listen to this. They were also the theological liberals of their day. Theological liberals of the day. The first persecution that comes from the church comes from the liberals. (laughs) Listen, they didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in an actual Messiah. I don't get why these folks were a group. They don't believe in anything good. Uh, Moreover, they didn't believe in the resurrection at all. They, they didn't believe in a resurrection at all. Not just the resurrection of Christ. But they didn't even believe they would be resurrected one day. And scripture teaches that we will all be resurrected. They didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. So that gives you a taste of, of what the Sadducees were all about. So keep that in mind. And let's look at verse 2. They show up on the scene. Are they, are they just calm and collective? It says they are greatly annoyed. Greatly annoyed. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. There's two reasons why the Jewish leadership, uh, specifically the Sadducees, were greatly annoyed. The first reason is this: they were teaching. That being Peter and John. We just see Peter doing some teaching, but apparently John was there uh, helping out. They were teaching. This was a no-no. You didn't get to teach in the temple unless you were qualified, unless you had the credentials, unless you were in the in crowd. These guys had no theological training. They were unqualified. They were unwanted. That would be like us today uh, going inside a Jewish uh, synagogue and me standing in the pulpit preaching Christ. That's what this would be like today, but to such a greater level. So the, the the temple wasn't just a place where anybody could teach. You had to be allowed. You had to be in the in group. So the fact that Peter and John are, are preaching and teaching, that's a no-no. But it's not just that they were teaching. What are they teaching? They are teaching about Jesus and they are teaching about the resurrection. This would greatly annoy the Sadducees, remember? Because they didn't believe in a resurrection. In fact, Paul would use that as an advantage later on in the book of Acts. That's going to be a good story. He just brings up the resurrection. Then these Jewish leaders, the the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they go at it. And and they totally forget what they originally met for. So they were greatly annoyed by what they were teaching. That is the resurrection. So what happens next? Look at verse 3. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. This is no friendly disagreement. This wasn't just them coming up to them, calm and collective, saying, Hey, you can't do that here. We love you, but y'all got to go somewhere else. Uh, we're going to give you a warning. No, we don't see that taking place. They are arrested. They are put in custody. This opposition led to an arrest. The, fam- uh, the man uh, We see Peter and John arrested, but if you read Scripture closely... There's also a good chance that the man who was healed was arrested too. So he couldn't walk. Just a few hours after walking, he's walking to the jail. You ever thought about that? Now there is a good chance he could have been called in later as a witness. Uh, but I think he went with Peter and John. Because what? remember what was happening when Peter was preaching? What was the man doing? He was clinging to him. He was cl- if he's still clinging to Peter and John, he's clinging with him to the jailhouse. Okay? So... They were arrested. Uh, Notice when they arrested these men. They arrested these men because of a reason. Uh, It was evening time. You couldn't have a trial at evening because of Jewish law. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Didn't Jesus stand trial at night? Didn't Jesus stand trial amongst these, these Jewish leaders? Yes, he did. This means they didn't keep their own rules. They were hypocrites. They were lawbreakers. Jesus stood in a legal trial. As a preacher, I find verse 3, and I know the other preachers in this room are going to appreciate this. but Verse three's information is, is very interesting. Verse 3 lets us know that Peter's sermon in chapter 3 was not a sermonette. It was not a popcorn sermon. It wasn't just a couple minutes. But this lets us know that he was probably preaching for a few hours. Some of y'all are saying, "Man, I hate sitting through the sermon." Well, you would have hated to sit under the preacher named Peter. He was probably preaching for a few hours. Let's backtrack. Let's backtrack. Peter and John came to the temple at the ninth hour. It was the hour of prayer. This was three p.m. When did they heal the lame beggar? They heal. They heal the lame beggar once they are approaching the temple. And does it take a few hours? Does it take a day or two for this lame beggar to be healed? No. He is healed completely and he is healed instantly. And what happens when everybody notices that the lame beggar has been healed and he's walking and leaping and praising God? They are all running to see what is taking place. They are all running to see what's taking place. So 3 o'clock, the man is healed. The crowd gathers. Peter starts preaching. But right here... It says they're going to arrest these men because it was already evening. Peter had been preaching for a few hours by now. And, folks, he would have kept preaching until these jokers stopped him. Okay? He was a long-winded, powerful preacher. Did that keep people getting saved, though? No. No. We're going to see thousands more get saved through this preaching. That was free. Okay? Um, They were met with opposition. They were arrested because they were teaching about Jesus. But folks, notice that this act of persecution did not keep God's Word from going forth. This act of persecution did not interrupt what God was doing in the lives of these thousands of people. Look at verse 4. It says they're arrested, that they're taken into custody. There's not even an altar call, there's not even an invitation because the preachers are gone. But look at verse 4. But many of those who heard the Word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. That's just the men I shared with you last week. There was probably a lot more because the ladies are a lot more faithful than the men, and there was probably kids that got saved too. So what what do you need to see here? Persecution does not hinder the church. Persecution does not keep the gospel from going forth persecution does not deter God's work from being done. If anything, it's the fertilizer. If anything, it makes it more loud and more prevalent. It makes it stronger. It makes it go further. It makes it go further. Persecution, while we don't want it, is actually a very good thing. It's a very good thing. Verses 1 through 4 show us the act of persecution Let's now take a look at the actions of the persecuted. And I know we've got a lot of verses to cover. But in our remaining verses, we see a shining example to follow when we are faced with persecution. The very first thing we learn is this. The persecuted were submissive. I'm saying were, uh, plural, because John is in that group. The persecuted were submissive. Uh, This principle is implied in verse 3. Notice that Peter and John did not resist being arrested. Notice they didn't call for a riot. Notice Peter didn't pull a sword out this time and cut somebody's ear off. We don't see any of that. We don't even see a verbal argument taking place. They submissively go with the authorities. They were submissive. They recognized that these people were put in place by God. And folks, we're supposed to do that. We are supposed to be submissive to God. We are supposed to be submissive to God, for one thing. But we are also to be submissive to the authorities that have been put over us to a degree, to a degree. Peter would later write on this subject in his first letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13-17. through 17, Be subject for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil. When Peter wrote about respecting authority, he was writing from real-life experience. As I've already shared with you, Peter had messed up on this before. When the authorities showed up to arrest his Lord Jesus, what did he do? He took out a knife and he cut off a man's ear. Now, Peter was probably reflecting on that time, as he, not only when he was in the temple, but also when he was penning his letter. that We are to be submissive to the authorities because who has put them in place? Chance? The devil? No. God. God. And that is the message throughout Scripture. The second thing we see is the persecuted, that being Peter, specifically right now, was Spirit-filled. He was Spirit-filled. Before we see Peter being filled with the Spirit, let's first look at the setting, though. Peter and John are standing in the midst of the Jewish Sanhedrin. This group was the theological elite. They had multiple PhDs. They were the smartest of the smart. They were the most powerful of the powerful. 71 members made up the Jewish Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was the Senate, but it was also the Supreme Court of the Jewish nation. And it had jurisdiction in all non-capital cases. But when they wanted to see someone die, they were the ones that advised Rome. This was a powerful, powerful group. In verse 6, we see that Annas and Caiaphas are mentioned. We see those guys earlier uh, in the trial of Jesus. They were both involved. Caiaphas was actually the high priest. He was the reigning high priest at that time. But it says Annas was the high priest. And why does it say that? Annas was the Jewish Godfather. He was the one that pulled all the strings. Even though he might not have been in the office of high priest, he told all the other high priests what to do. And it was within his family. I don't know how many guys from his family became high priests. They had this office locked, they had it locked. Uh, So that's why they mentioned Annas first. The Sanhedrin met in a place called the Hall of Hoonstone, possibly within the temple area. When they met, they usually sat in a semicircle. It's kind of what we have here today—a semicircle with our building. Verse seven says they placed Peter and John in the center and began to ask them questions. So get this picture in your minds. Peter and John are standing in the center of this semicircle of what is made up of the Jewish Senate and Supreme Court, 71 members of the theological elite within Judaism, and they are standing in the center of it. Get that picture in your minds. But wait a second, who is Peter? Peter is the greatest preacher of the early church. Peter is the man who just preached on the day of Pentecost and saw thousands be saved. Peter is also the man who just preached uh, the day before in the temple and thousands more got saved even while he was being hauled away. What do you think Peter is going to do with this opportunity? He's going to preach. He's going to preach. And what I love about this story is they stole him from his sermon earlier. They weren't really present for it. So what's he going to do? He said, oh, you weren't here for that one? Uh, Let me re-preach it to you. And I'll share a little bit more with you. (sighs) He's going to preach. Folks, the devil thought he had Peter and John in the center in a corner of persecution. But what he had really done is delivered these two men to be in front of the most powerful group within Judaism. How, el- how else could Peter and John pull that off? They couldn't have. They couldn't ask for a sermon in front of these men. No, they had to go through persecution. The devil thought he had the upper hand. He was wrong. Our God is so awesome. Our God is so awesome. Remember that when you're facing persecution, don't try to, to weasel your way out of it. Why don't you just wait a little bit and see what God has in store? so awesome. Verse 8 Peter begins to speak, but the text says first he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now Peter already had the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came among upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. And it was as we've already established, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive all of the Holy Spirit. You don't receive 30% of him. You don't receive 50% of the Holy Spirit. You receive him in full. When a person is saved, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes to live within you forever. Forever. You are sealed. So, what does it mean that he was filled with the Holy Spirit? It means this it means Peter, the Holy Spirit, took control of Peter. The Spirit empowered Peter to speak. With boldness in a very special way. The Holy Spirit manifested himself in a unique way during this time. This is kind of a, a preview of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12. And he's speaking to his disciples. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities. Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Peter, we don't see this in Scripture, he doesn't pray for a filling of the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit filled Peter because Peter was walking in obedience. Peter went to the temple to pray to his God. Peter... Paid attention to this man that the Spirit led him to. And through the name of Jesus healed this man. Peter was obedient and seizing the opportunity in preaching God's word to thousands. Peter was obedient and being submissive to the authorities that just arrested him. What is the pattern I'm trying to communicate to you, church? He was obedient. And through his obedience, the Holy Spirit loves obedience. The Holy Spirit filled him. The Holy Spirit filled him. I've heard preachers say it this way. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not you having more of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit having more of you. The Holy Spirit wants all of us. Our problem is we don't give it to him. We're selfish. We're sinners. We choose us over him. You want to be filled with the Spirit? Then you need to be in obedience to the Lord and to his word. It's all because of the Spirit's feeling we see our next point. The persecuted spoke the truth boldly. They spoke the truth boldly. Peter spoke boldly. Now verses 9-12 through 12 could really be called Peter's third sermon. I could have just preached a whole sermon on this sermon. His third sermon. Because what's he doing? He's preaching. He's preaching the same message from the previous sermons. He's preaching about Jesus. He indicts the Jewish leaders for crucifying Jesus. said, you crucified him. You did this, but guess what God did? God raised him up. He goes a little further with the Jewish leaders. He says, listen, this stone that you rejected, he is the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone that we we read about in the Psalms and the prophecies. He also says this, and folks, this is what gets Christians in trouble today. He says, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Did y'all know what y'all were getting into when you you said yes to Jesus? He's not just a way. He's not just one of the options. It's not like one of those tests you take in school. It says, which way to heaven? All the above. Eh, no. Which way to heaven? Bold print, circle it, highlight it. Jesus. Jesus. Verse 12, Peter says this, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter and John are here standing trial. They were brought here to stand trial. But folks, do y'all notice something? They're not standing trial. The Sanhedrin is standing trial. They're the ones that are standing trial. God just delivered the preachers to them. Peter is speaking to these people like a prosecuting attorney. A prosecuting attorney. He doesn't shrink back. He doesn't make the message more palatable. He doesn't leave parts out. He doesn't try to be strategic. He tries to be biblical. He preaches the truth and all of the truth. When we share the gospel with the world, we need to speak the truth and all of it. Don't be sitting there saying, well, I'm just going to share this part. I don't want to talk about their sin and their lifestyle. I don't even want to, you know, I don't want to tell them Jesus is the only one. Then you need to shut up and sit down, okay? You're supposed to speak the truth and all the truth. Don't leave any parts out of it that you might think may be offensive. (laughs) Share. It's not your message. It's not your message. What is evangelism? Is evangelism trying to to save someone? Well, Yes. You can't save anybody. When we tell you to pray for that person in your life and to go and and share the good news with them, we're not telling you to save that person. You can't do it. You're to be faithful with the message. That is what evangelism, evangelism is. Being a faithful mailman For the Lord. That's it. That's it. And you let the Lord take care of the rest and you pray to God to help take care of the rest. Write this down if you're taking notes. We are not God's editors, we are not God's public relations group. If you're a servant of the Lord, you do exactly what He tells you to do, you don't leave any parts. Out of his good news, because if you leave anything out of it, guess what? It's no longer good. It's no longer good. You can't make his word any better. It's perfect as is. I read a good story about a preacher named Peter Cartwright. Peter Cartwright was a, a circuit riding Methodist preacher in Illinois. He was an uncompromising man. And as an uncompromising man, he had come north from Tennessee because of his opposition to slavery. One Sunday morning, when he was scheduled to preach, his deacons came up to him and said, The President of the United States, Andrew Jackson, is in the congregation. Knowing Cartwright was accustomed to just speaking without reservation. Knowing that he was accustomed to saying it like it is, they told him to be more reserved in his remarks. They told him to be careful what he had to say. He stood up to preach. And this is what he said in the pulpit. I understand President Andrew Jackson is here. I've been requested to be guarded in my remarks. But he boldly continued... Andrew Jackson will go to hell if he does not repent. (laughs) The audience was shocked. They wondered how the president would respond to this message, how the president would respond to such truth, how the president would respond to such a bold comment from this preacher named Peter Cartwright. At the end of the service, the story says that President Andrew Jackson... Went up to Mr. Cartwright and he made this statement, Sir, if I had a regiment of men like you, I could whip the world. It's a good word. Like Peter and like Peter Cartwright, we must be bold. We must not shrink back. We must speak the truth. God puts us in certain places for the sake of others. Where you're at now, where you live, where you work, you are there to be salt and light. But that same truth applies to persecution. God puts us in those places so we can be salt and light, where we can speak the truth of the gospel to others, even when they're persecuting us. Think about this, those 71 people that heard Peter's sermon. Somebody had to be saved in that group. Because we learn insider information there. Because it says after they left, uh, the Jewish leaders came together and spoke. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Somebody had to get saved in that group and give it to the physician Luke to record in the book of Acts. Somebody got saved because Peter was faithful. Somebody of the Sanhedrin got saved. Let's look quickly. The persecuted stayed obedient to God I told you earlier that we are to be submissive, but submission has its limits. Uh, Look at verse 18. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Uh, We're to be submissive until we get to points like this. Until we get to points like this. We are to be submissive up until the point when the authorities in our lives ask us to disobey God. That is where we draw the line. That's where Peter drew the line. We're not to have a martyr's complex. We're not to just do whatever the police and whatever the government tells us to do. We're to be submissive to them. We're to be orderly. But when they start telling us we can't preach the name of Jesus, you can just smile and say, sorry, I'm not going to be able to obey that one. When they start telling us that we can't do things in the name of Jesus, that's when you say, sorry, I can't do that. Look how Peter responds to this in verse 19. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Notice that Peter and John were not quiet about this matter. They could have received that word and they could have just said, Yeah, man, we're going to do whatever we want to do. No, they're still bold in how they are talking to this group of individuals. Uh, they told them this, we're going to keep preaching. We cannot stop talk. We can't stop talking about what we have seen and heard. I love how somebody pointed this out about the early church. The early church was told to shut up. The church in America they're wanting us to speak up because they have no idea what we stand for because we are so silent. They're not offended by our message. They're amazed by our silence. When our culture calls us to disobey God, we're to stand firm and stay obedient to the Lord. Listen to this it'll cost you. It'll cost you. What is this sermon called again? An introduction to persecution. How to prepare for persecution. It will cost you. It may cost you your job, it may cost you your freedom. It may cost you your standing in culture. It does have a cost. And what did Jesus tell us to do before we follow him? Count the cost. Count the cost. After Peter and John receive further threats, the Sanhedrin release them. They have no choice They they couldn't deny the miracle. They said, this man's walking. He's standing right here in front of us. I've seen him a thousand times. He's standing. Moreover, uh, they couldn't get on to these men for doing such a good work. And we also see that who are they scared of? Are they scared of God? No, they're scared of that big old crowd outside that is praising God for what has taken place. So they've released them with further threats. So what do Peter and John do after they are released? They go to church. They go to the brethren. They go to the brethren. I think if America started experiencing persecution, this place would be a lot fuller. They go to the brethren and they tell them everything that's taking place. Why would they need to go to the brethren? What is one of the reasons for the church? For us to care for one another. For us to strengthen one another. For us to be together during hard times like this. We need to be together always, but the first thing they do is they go to the church and they start praying. And that leads us to our final point. The persecuted sought more boldness. Verses 23-31, through Peter and John return and it says the church has a prayer meeting. And what a wonderful prayer that is. I don't have time to go through it all today, but I want to encourage you to please read that in your own time and notice the things that come out of that prayer. The first thing they acknowledge is God is creator. they, They acknowledge that He is sovereign, that He is in full control. Even during times of persecution, this is a part of His plan. But this is what I want to point out today. They pray for more boldness. They pray for more boldness. Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They didn't pray for comfort. They didn't pray for persecution to lead them. They didn't pray for their circumstances to change. Instead, they prayed for strength in their circumstances. They wanted to be stronger. They wanted to be bolder in their persecution. They didn't pray for protection. They prayed for power. Power. How would we pray if we were experiencing persecution? Oh, Lord, please take this away from us. Please take this away. Please take this away. What did the early church do? Lord, make us stronger in this. Make us powerful. Make us bolder. Help us have more occasions to proclaim the name of Jesus for you, Lord. That's what they're doing here. Philip Brooks says this. Do not pray for easy lives. Pray to be stronger men and women. Do not pray for tasks equal to your powers Pray for powers equal to your task. That is the way the early Christians prayed and that is the way God's people today should pray. So what happens after they pray for boldness? Look at verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. I was thinking about that today with all this rain and this lightning and this thunder. Some of y'all wouldn't have been at this church meeting. If the ground started shaking, you would have went home. Pastor, I don't know, this is dangerous, okay? Um, the ground was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. The day of Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they started speaking in tongues, speaking in different languages. On this occasion, they started speaking. God answered their prayer immediately. They started speaking with more boldness. The ground was shaken, God made Himself known. But Think about that, if the ground seriously started shaking here, what would you do? What would you do? God made Himself known through this prayer. He answered their prayer immediately. That's why the ground was shaking. But I couldn't help but think of this, with the ground being shaken. God shook the ground where these saints were because they were going to be the people that were going to shake the world. Persecution was not going to shake them. They were going to shake the world in the face of persecution. And may we do the very same. Let me pray for us, Father God. We